This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Michael Gazarek, NASA's Director of Space Technology Programs. As Director, he contributes to the development of technology that can be applied to NASA's exploration systems, space operations, and science missions, coordinating, integrating, and tracking all investments across the agency. And prior to this appointment, Gazarek served as the Deputy Chief Technologist at NASA Headquarters, focusing on enabling effective implementation of the space technology programs. Mr. Gazarek, thanks for being with us today. Uh, glad to be here. Michael, first I want to talk about the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts Program, which is seeking proposals for revolutionary concepts that have the potential to transform future aerospace missions. What kinds of ideas are we talking about? NIAC is one of our uh, most exciting programs. Uh, the Space Technology Program, we have 10 programs um, that, that cover a broad range of technology development. NIAC, uh, as you mentioned, is one of uh, the more exciting ones we have that's focused on these advanced concepts. This is a program actually that ran for a number of years and then went dormant for, uh, for the past couple of years. We, last year we resurrected it, got it up and running again, and we're looking at concepts uh, that, that someday will enable us to do you know, great things in, in exploration and, and exploring the universe. They range from new and advanced power systems uh, to uh, new types of propulsion um, to, to ways to protect our, our astronauts from radiation. So what is your specific role in that program? Uh, as Space Technology Program Director, um, I oversee the, the day-to-day and the management uh, of all the 10 programs. Now, each of the 10 programs, including NIAC, then has a program executive who then runs the day-to-day uh, management of the program. So I, I look and guide, provide guidance and steering, uh, and I am the selecting official for, uh, for that program. NIAC, like many of our programs, involves competition. We look for the best ideas throughout NASA and throughout industry. And so one of the things we've got to do is run a very clean and thorough um, and, and open and honest uh, evaluation system so that, you know, we, we pick in a very fair way uh, the best ideas and move them forward. Right. The other part of that, the other part of that, that my job is to help, you know, once the ideas are matured and we see some advanced concepts, we want to go to the next phase. Where do they go? How can they be integrated into something, uh, into a future mission or application or, or get them out to industry? And so we use those other programs in space technology to do that. Mm-hmm. And so this this was kind of a second call for proposals, right? And so uh, how do you handle all of these ideas? How do you sharpen them? And what is sort of the process to, to narrow down um, which ideas will go forward? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. We had an overwhelming response last year. We had over 700 proposals to the NIAC call last year. And uh, we, we, you know, for budgetary considerations, were able to pick 30. And, and man, there were many more uh, we wish we could have selected. Uh, this year, then, is our second, uh, our second call for concepts, and uh, that call is actually open right now. And uh, this is, uh, you know, we're planning to do this on a, on a yearly basis. Mm-hmm. And, and um, who can help? Who are you looking for these ideas from? Is it anybody? Right. We are, we are looking uh, yes, across the community, uh, academia, uh, NASA centers, industry. Um, it's open to anyone uh, to solicit and, uh, and propose their ideas. What are some examples of the most creative ideas that you've seen in this process? description, you know, of them. Um, one of them is this very innovative uh, suit uh, that would uh, help in microgravity uh, to be able to better manipulate and operate in, in microgravity. Uh, 
this very advanced uh, uh, suit that uh, you know future astronauts perhaps could wear. Um, that's that's just one. Um, they're also uh, looking at uh, you know kind of right out of, of uh, science fiction is a tractor beam, the ability to actually you know grab particles remotely using uh, optical wavelengths of light and actually be able to acquire you know that sample. The other, other, the other, and the, the applications, you know, range considerably. There's also ones that look at, at battery energy, trying to get energy from bacteria. Um, again, you know, looking for alternative sources of energy. If you had to sort of name three of the biggest technical needs that programs like NIAC uh, and like your other programs could help with, what would you say they would be? Sure. It doesn't necessarily have to be three, but if you had to name the biggest technical needs that programs like NIAC and, and your other programs could help with, uh, what would you say those biggest needs are? Okay. Yeah. I'm I, sorry. I just didn't hear it coming through. So we, we look at that. That's, that's a great question. And in fact, we're going to get some uh, future guidance on that uh, today. The, uh, we've asked, we put together some draft roadmaps across uh, 14 technical areas, and we asked the National Research Council to go look at those technical areas on these roadmaps. Today, later on today, we will receive the final report. But there are, you know, so there are, and we will get those top technical challenges that the NRC also sees uh, for the agency. I can tell you, though, there are a number, because of previous studies, that, that you can point to, you know, fairly quickly, um, one of which is the ability to protect um, astronauts and so forth from uh, radiation. Um, you know, we obviously have a benefit living here on the surface of Earth, uh, but out in space, it becomes quite a challenge. Uh, other top technical areas really involve in-space propulsion, the ability to move in space um, without the need of dragging uh, a large amount of payload with you for fuel. So uh, there are many ways to go look at that, but we've got to find better ways um, to move around in, in the universe. Other challenges uh, we can relate to really that are kind of very similar to here on Earth, and that is communications. Um, as we go explore the universe, we'll have a lot of data, of course, to send back. We have imagery to send back. We want high-def video to send back. And for that, we're going to need we're going to need higher bandwidth to be able to send those images and that data back to Earth. When you're getting these proposals, what kinds of technology investments do you find that most people are interested in? You know, it ranges really across the board. Is that from energy uh, to which is a big energy storage, you know, battery life. Again, sources of power uh, to communications to propulsion. Um, there's also a number a number of novel ideas on how to uh, land on these planetary surfaces. How, how do you fly through the atmosphere and land precisely, say, on the surface of Mars? Um, so we we see really it's a very very broad range. There are um, you know really we haven't uh, we've resurrected uh, technology development, especially the push technologies here at NASA with the creation of the space technology program. Haven't had it. Um, had, had, haven't had that focus in quite a while. So the ideas are out there um, across the board. I also wanted to ask about the future of space missions. Uh, how, will, how do you see future space missions changing? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, we want to be able to go explore beyond low Earth orbit. Um, so one of the changes really is simply is to get away from the surface of the Earth and go into what's called deep space. Uh, and to do that requires a number of things that we've been talking here today. So one of the missions, you know, one of the changes is going to be our ability to go live, operate, and move um, in space. Um, another focus for us is affordability, um, doing things in a more effective and affordable way. 
Uh, we all know the budgetary realities, and, and, and to do you know, this great exploration, we've we got to do it with technologies in ways uh, that are more affordable. And what kinds of capabilities do you think are needed for uh, this new shift to, to deep space uh, missions? Capabilities range, again, from uh, a, a big focus on power. Uh, how do we get the, the power that we need to operate the spacecraft, whether that be from solar or electric power uh, or other alternative sources? Uh, how, do we, how do we move in space efficiently, whether we use um, uh, what's called solar electric thrusters, if you will, that use ions? Uh, to move, or whether we use a big sail, like a solar sail, and use the sun's energy to move without any propellant. Um, there's also ways looking at the traditional cryogenic, cryogenic propellants, very cold you know, chemicals. Um, we also need capabilities, as I mentioned, in radiation protection. Um, that's one of the more, I'd say, challenging areas that we have to look at, is how do we, put, how do we protect the crew. Uh, other areas also range, and again, if we're going to land somewhere on a surface, how do we do that? How do we fly at these very fast hypersonic speeds as we come screaming through the atmosphere, and how do we do that safely and land large payloads you know, on a surface in, in locations where we want to land them? These are all challenges that we face today um, that really we, need, we all know we need, and the NRC you know, is going to confirm uh, later today, we need these types of capabilities. I'm interested, too, in industry's role. How do you imagine NASA and industry merging to create new technologies? What do you see as kind of commercial space opportunities, and what do you see as industry's role in space exploration? You know, industry, as you know, has always had a very large role in space exploration, um, from, from uh, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, of course, the shuttle. Uh, they play a huge role in designing, building, testing, and flying the hardware that we put in orbit and, and we, that we explore space with, and that's not really going to change. You know, they're going to have, continue to have a significant role in space exploration. Uh, what we can do is help, really part of the space technology program is seed and work on some of these really, really tough problems and trying to get over the barrier. Um, we're making investments where, where, from an industry perspective, perhaps they really can't make that investment because, because it, uh, you know, the challenges are too great. Uh, it's a very hard problem to solve, and we want to look at it from a variety of ways. From space technology, we can help plant those seeds and get over these, these valleys of death in technology development that will allow industry then and, and bring in their efficiency and their affordability, uh, and together then we will go and explore space. I'm curious, too, what role will Mars exploration play? What kinds of work do you see being done there? Yeah, so Mars, uh, you know, we have a number of assets, uh, orbiter, uh, hardware on Mars, as, as you know. There's, uh, you know the rover's on Mars. Uh, the Mars Science Lab is, is on its way. It's going to be, you know, the biggest, baddest rover we've ever sent uh, to the Red Planet. Uh, we also have, of course, the orbiters um, uh, uh, flying above the surface of Mars, you know, as we speak. So Mars continues and will continue to be, you know, a focus for the agency. Uh, and to go there uh, with more, with, with certainly with humans, uh, and even for uh, more uh, higher, massive, larger payloads, we're going to need these technologies that we've been discussing here today. We're, we're going to need the ability to get there faster. We're going to need the ability to land safely and land in locations where we want to land. Uh, we're going to be able to survive the radiation on Mars. So all those really factor in, and they really serve as a very tough case for deep space exploration. What else do you see? Are there any other sort of frontiers, so to speak, for exploration? Uh, there are many. Um, there are, you know, there are many. Um, many destinations, including, you know, you know asteroids, um, of course, including the moon. Uh, there's also these uh, range points that are called that, 
that offer very stable places that you can that you can exist. And uh, we're looking at uh, frontiers to go explore the sun and understand space weather better. Um, we're, we're looking at exploring these variety of destinations. If you, if you look at some of the science decadal surveys, for example, they call for uh, exploring uh, Europa and other other planetary uh, bodies that are out there. there. There's lots to explore. You know, we've really only touched the surface uh, to date. I wanted to ask a little bit, too, about just your general uh, day-to-day work. Uh, you coordinate, integrate, and track all technology investments across the agency. What does that mean exactly, and what is your day-to-day process to achieve that? Yeah, so the Office of the Chief Technologist, um, which, which manages the space technology program, which we're talking about here today. But the Office of the Chief Technologist also, under our Chief Technologist, looks at age, uh, technologies across the agency. So th- there are many technology programs throughout the agency, all uh, in our mission directors, that, that are more focused, right? They're, they're focused on, on, the, on the missions of which they belong, whether it be science or human exploration. Of course, in aeronautics, does you know, an incredible job of the research and development that's needed for aviation and aeronautics. Our, our, our job at this level is, is, is that, is coordination and integration, uh, looking at uh, where we're making investments, looking at where we're moving the needle forward for technology development. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get the guidance today, the final report from the NRC that will also help us you know, decide where we're going to make investments. We're constantly st- staying abreast and aware of what, what's, what the developments are in industry, uh, taking advantage of whatever uh, technology developments occur, perhaps for other applications, and where we can fold them into the program. Uh, we also you know, support our mission directorates, making sure we understand what technology needs need to be developed and, and then get projects up and running in those areas. We also, one of our big uh, aspects is technology transfer. H- how do we get some of the technologies we develop here in the agency out into the community? There are plenty of small businesses out there, large businesses out there, that, that could really leverage some of the work we're doing at NASA. And through programs like the Small Business uh, Innovative Research, SBIR program, and its counterpart, STTR, or Technology Transfer, we're working hard, too, to make sure that everyone understands the technology we're doing and, and being able to transfer that to them. What would you say the biggest challenges of, of determining uh, a good technical uh, technology investment? What is kind of the criteria used to determine a solid tech, technology investment? Yeah, that's, um, you know, many, many books and papers, of course, written on that. It's, uh, it's always a challenge. Um, it, it's a little bit of science and it's a little bit of art, I would say. Um, but there's a couple things that I think that history has shown. You know, one is um, an understanding of the technical area in general, uh, where the problem uh, uh, where the problem sits, uh, what has been done to date, uh, how how mature we use a, a technology readiness scale to try to judge how quote unquote ready a technology is before it could be used in an application or a system. So we kind of judge then based on how much progress it's made, whether it's in the laboratory, whether it's undergone testing, whether it's been in some type of a test chamber, or maybe it's even flown uh, on an air, a high-altitude balloon or an airplane that, that shows then uh, its ability to perform. So, so those are some of the things that we look at to, to judge where that technology readiness is and then deci- try to decide what the next step is uh, to mature it toward, again, a potential infusion uh, or use in an application in a mission or, or in industry. Now, the other things that uh, history has shown is that um, often for the tough problems, you need to take multiple approaches. Uh, often the, the solution doesn't come in a very linear fashion. It becomes very disruptive. Um, and if you looked at many of the breakthroughs that have occurred in, in history, 
They've occurred when uh, people were trying to solve one problem and then boom, found that solution actually had a big impact somewhere else. So the key is to have a portfolio, to try uh, different technology investments across this readiness scale and making sure that you're investing in early concepts such as NIAC and making sure that you're doing also uh, technology demonstrations like what we have in one of our uh, programs called Technology Demonstration where we fly these technologies in space. One of the key aspects of that whole thing is what's called the bridge in the valley of death, where you're trying to get the technology out of the, out of the laboratory and really into the environment. And our, our game-changing program is really focused on doing that. Yeah, aside from NIAC and these other programs you mentioned, I'm curious, what other programs do you oversee that help you determine space technology priorities? Yeah, so we, we have, again, this range of programs. Um, we... We have a couple in early stage. For example, well, we support graduate fellows at uh, our nation's universities. We selected the first class of our inaugural fellows, uh, 80 students at 37 universities. Uh, we have a, we just finished a call out this year uh, for the second round. Um, one of our um, one of our big programs is Centennial Challenges. Um, this is the idea of prizes using prize competitions, where uh, we can get solutions to. Technical problems where the government we don't pay unless the actual uh, system works um, and the technology is demonstrated. Uh, so we have uh, we did one last year uh, on green flight aviation, mm-hmm. uh, electric aviation that was done in September, smashing success, and we think perhaps really breaks open the door for electric aviation. Um, I, I mentioned the uh, one of the other programs we have, of course, is small business. I mentioned that we have the game changing program. We also have two programs that are focused on small spacecraft, uh, also called CubeSats, NanoSats, this, this idea that uh, you can develop satellites very, you know, in a very small, uh, very uh, low cost. And we're just exploring the uses. We really think it can break open the types of problems and the types of applications we can do in space. I also want to give some of our audience an idea of uh, where, you, where you've come from. Uh, you came to NASA headquarters from NASA's Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia, where you were the deputy director for programs in the engineering directorate. And in this role, you worked uh, on projects that ranged from conceptual design to spaceflight operations. What lessons from that experience do you think help you to do your job now? on the people. We talk a lot about technology, but at the end of the day, it's the talent in the workforce, whether it be at NASA or in industry. And so, and so getting the right teams in place and allowing them to innovate is, is key. There, are, uh, there is like a lot of ideas out there. There are some really, really sharp people. And so um, one of the things I learned uh, for this job is to set up a framework and funding and requirements and all the aspects that I have to do to really let the talent go to work. And we've touched on this a little bit. You served uh, as the project manager for the Mars Science Laboratory Entry, Descent, and Landing Instrumentation Project. Uh, can you give us an update on the uh, MSL mission? Yes, yes. Um, that's right. We, we put a, an instrumentation package uh, on the heat shield of the Mars Science Lab, and this will enable measurements as it flies through the atmosphere on its way landing to the surface. Um, so uh, it is on its way to Mars, um, scheduled to arrive in early August. And we're all going to be excited about that. Of course, when it plunges through the atmosphere, it's always a very exciting time. Um, but the rover, uh, and it's, it's managed by the Science Mission Directorate. And, of course, you know, for more details, we can get you there. But uh, from the reports that I've seen, it's doing well. The checkouts are doing well. Um, they've, they've made some course corrections, which are a natural part of the process. Uh, it's cutting on a very long distance, millions of miles uh, to the red planet. 
You have a wide range of experience, and you've worked uh, as chief engineer of NASA's Earth Science Clario mission, investigator for uh, the shuttle program's uh, extravehicular infrared camera project, and you were a developer of an advanced laser-based rendezvous and docking sensor system. Is that kind of range of experience critical for a role like yours as a director of space technology programs? Can you talk about how if that's a, a major advantage or not? I think I think it is a major advantage. I think it really has helped to um, be broad as you can across the range of technologies and the range of applications, um, hitting all the mission directorates. Uh, obviously, from a space technology uh, program level, we are very broad, and we look at technologies, you know, across the board. And I think that experience has, has really, you know, helped me um, uh, to understand all the, the different applications and the different challenges uh, for the technology that's needed for all of NASA's missions. Can you take us through a typical day for you? Is, is there a typical day? Is it a little bit of everything? How does it work? Well, a day in Washington is always very fun, of course. Uh, no, and, uh, and NASA headquarters, uh, is, you know, is really a great place to work uh, because of the ability, really, to, to 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 have an impact at the agency level. Um, you know, like most most, uh, I would say, folks in Washington, of course, the, you know, the obvious thing is there's a, a variety of meetings. Of course, now the re- meetings are because there's a whole lot of topics we have to to look at, and uh, with the breadth of ten ten programs, you know, my day ranges uh, across those ten programs. Again, making sure that uh, we're on track, uh, our solicitations are under development, evaluations are underway, and of course, uh, uh, tracking the technical progress. You know that uh, our, you know, we have thousands of, uh, of innovators and, and engineers and scientists right now in the program, supporting the program across NASA and the industry. And you know, we're, we're checking the progress and making sure that uh, any roadblocks that these teams are facing are, are we're going to get rid of them. As for goals, uh, what would you say, uh, short-term and long-term, what would you say is the biggest goal for 2012, and then what would you say is the biggest goal beyond that for you? Yeah, for, for 12, it's, uh, it's a big year for us. Is, uh, you know, we, the Space Technology Program was uh, funded in July of 11. So uh, this is our, our – we had turned a corner from last year where we were formulating the program to this year we're under execution. We have technologies in the laboratories and test chambers – and flying above, uh, flying in the skies above all the NASA centers in evaluation and testing this year in, in 2012. We have a whole series of milestones uh, for a number of our technologies as we're making progress in, in getting these technologies, uh, you know, in, in, in testing environments, understanding what's going to work and, uh, well, what's not going to work. Either way, uh, we're going to learn along the way about, uh, about which technologies really are going to prove to be useful for NASA and for the community. Michael Gazarek, NASA's Director of Space Technology Programs, thanks for taking the time to be with us.